You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue new our series on preparing for the new things God has in store. In part four, are you drifting off course? We'll be discussing King Josiah's story and the common causes for believers to drift in their faith and relationship with God. Happy Sunday, family. Thanks for joining us this morning. Listen, as always, it is a tremendous honor for us to come together and worship. And let me tell you something. I pray that after that amazing time of worship, you're ready to jump into the word of God. Now, I've got some really important things that I've got to share with you first as we prepare to go to the word. Number one, first, I want to make sure that you saw my weekly email that went out on last week. Because in that email, I talked about the specific date that we are going to reopen for in-person worship. That date is October 24th, but please be sure to check out all of the information that I shared in last week's e-blast so that you can have all of the details and be prepared, whether you plan to continue to worship with us online or you plan to join us in person. Now, secondly, Today, we are beginning our seven days of prayer and fasting, and I pray that you are going to go with us on this incredible seven-day journey. Now, if you haven't decided to join us yet, or if you still plan to join us, you've still got time. You can go out to our TWC website, you can go out to our Breakthrough Prayer website, and simply sign up to join us. And when you sign up digitally, we are going to send you through email a free fasting guide that I've created that will be a resource for all of us this week. It's an amazing seven-day fasting guide, and it's digital. And the moment you sign up and let us know that you're going to join us on this seven-day fast, that digital fasting guide is going to be sent to your email. So it's an amazing guide that's going to guide us over these next seven days and I hope that you have it already. And if you don't, please join us because it's going to be an incredible time over these next seven days. Now, let's prepare our hearts to hear from God. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for your loving kindness and your tender mercies that are new every single morning. And so, Lord, we come now ready to dive into your word. And I simply pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you this morning. We need to hear from you, Lord, as this is day one of our fast. I pray that these next seven days would be uh, days of uh, clear encounters, clear abilities for us to hear your voice. Lord, speak to us. This is a new season and we need new wisdom and direction for where you're leading us. So have your way, Lord, through this word and through these next seven days. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, amen family. Now, for the last few weeks, we have been studying the Word of God in order to understand how to prepare for the new. Now, we recognize, as I prayed a moment ago, that this is a new season. We recognize that God is clearly doing new things, and we want to make sure that our hearts are prepared to join God in the new that's taking place. Over the next seven days, that's the focus of our time of prayer and fasting. Our focus is that we want God to prepare our hearts for the new. So in keeping with that theme, I want you to join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. In 2 Chronicles 34, 
Uh, and I want to start uh, a little bit around verse 14. It says this, it says, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. <clears throat> he then gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that's been committed to them. They paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king. Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. This morning, family, as we study this passage, we want to do it with this question or this title or topic. Are you drifting off course? Are you drifting off course? I read a study um, recently and it's actually more of a story. And it revolved around a woman who was on vacation and she was on vacation and was relaxing on a raft in the water at the beach. And as she tanned and floated in the water, relaxing on her vacation, she nodded off. And while she was sleeping, she had no idea that her raft had drifted beyond the breakers. The lifeguards were frantically blowing their whistles, but to no avail, the woman drifted further and further to sea. She wasn't able to hear all of the commotion because she was asleep and because the ocean's soothing roar drowned out everything and everybody else. Now the lifeguards quickly called on the Coast Guard who dispatched a rescue helicopter, which was immediately on the scene. However, the woman was still oblivious to her situation. Even as many people yelled from the shore along with the constant whistles of warning from the lifeguards. Now, as the Coast Guard helicopter hovered over her, it caused a downdraft of water to spray all around her. And then there was a voice that came over the helicopter's loudspeaker, and that voice startled the woman. She quickly woke up and realized that she was nearly a mile away from the shore. Now, the good news is that the Coast Guard lowered a rope and pulled her back to the beach safely. I also read another story recently about a large cargo vessel that drifted off course and unfortunately ran aground on some rocks. The cargo vessel was the MV Priscilla that carried precious cargo around the world. But this one time it drifted off course because when the officer of the watch took over at 2 a.m. that day, he turned off the steering and turned on the autopilot. He then sat in the captain's chair and get this, began watching music videos on his phone and then subsequently fell asleep. He woke up several hours later to find out that the ship had drifted so terribly off course that it subsequently ran aground. The Point family and me sharing these stories with you is that I want you to recognize how easy it is to drift. You can be relaxed 
and drift. You can be distracted and drift. You can be sleep and drift. Truthfully, those three things describe what can so easily happen in our life when it comes to our relationship with God. It's so easy to get relaxed in your faith and think that you can just put your feet up and you end up missing all of the warning signs because you're not even aware that you are drifting. It's easy to become busy and distracted by so many of the pressures of life that you don't even know that you're drifting. And so subsequently, you're getting ready to wreck your life and your faith. It's so easy to just fall asleep in your faith. In fact, that describes so many people right now. Some people are not awake. They're not excited. They're not living with expectation. They are literally sleepwalking in their relationship with God. This is the background and the context in which we find the nation of Israel in 2 Chronicles 34. And this is also so critical for us because the undeniable truth family is that we drift. But what's most important is that we recognize where and how we have drifted so that we can repent and then get back on track with God. That's a critical part of how we prepare our hearts for the new. You know, over these seven days of prayer and fasting, we're going to be challenged to search our hearts and to even acknowledge, are we drifting or are we on course with God? Josiah was eight years old when he became king. As a matter of fact, in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 34, it says this. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So at an early age, Josiah began to walk with the Lord. But around the age of 20, he began to realize just how badly the nation of Israel had drifted from God. And in light of that, in this passage, family, there are a number of things that happened and there are a number of things that Josiah did specifically to address the drift. These are the same things that will help us address the drift in our own lives or avoid drifting in the first place. The very first thing that Josiah did and that he instructs us to do is to tear down the idols. Number one, we've got to tear down the idols. Take a look at, at verse three of Second Chronicles 34. In verse three, it says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now check this out. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Astropoles, and there it is, and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Astropoles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priest on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh and uh, Ephraim and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars, the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces. All of the incense altars around or throughout Israel is what one translation says. And then he went back to Jerusalem. Now, family, the first thing that Josiah begins to do 
is we see he begins to tear down the idols. The nation of Israel had drifted so far from God that they had idols and monuments and shrines built to those idols all over the land. The people were worshiping these idols. They were sacrificing to these idols. Their focus was these idols instead of God. And it's real easy in this contemporary context to only think of idols as some kind of old carven image or maybe something from Raiders of the Lost Ark. But family, what's important for us to understand is that an idol can be any person, place, thing, or idea that you focus on more than you focus on God. An idol can be any person, place, thing, or idea that you worship more than you worship God. An idol can be any person, place, thing, or idea that you hold on to tighter than you hold on to God. An idol can be any person, place, thing, or idea that you believe in more than you believe in God. This means your job can be an idol. Your marriage can be an idol. Your children can be an idol. Money and status can be an idol. Politics and political rhetoric, even political channels or political ideologies can be an idol. Race can be an idol. What people think about you can be an idol. Social media can be an idol. Even gossip and lies can be an idol. Hurt can be an idol. And even the past can be an idol. See, the danger of idols, family, is not relegated to this ancient Old Testament story. Idols are just as dangerous now as they were back then, and they still cause us to drift from God. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 24, David says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in this holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. What David means here when he talks about uh, the person who hasn't lifted up his soul to an idol, when he talks about the soul, David is referencing your mind, your will, and your emotions. See, when the attention and the focus of your mind and your will and your emotions is an idol, you've drifted from God. David says, when you're there, you can't even ascend to the hill of the Lord or stand in his holy place, meaning you can't get close to God. You cannot participate in what he's doing. Why? Because your attention and your focus is controlled by an idol. Now, here is the big question. What are the idols in your life? Here's another big question. Do you know what they are? And let me help you if you don't know what they are. This is how God will help you identify your idols. He will challenge you to let go of it for him. And if you are not willing to let go of it for God, whatever your it is, it's an idol. This is why God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis 22. He says, I need you to take your son, your only son, Isaac to that mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him there. And if you remember the story, you remember that he and Isaac go up that mountain and Abraham straps Isaac um, to the altar and he gets ready to kill him. And then an angel uh, says, don't lay a hand on the boy. He helps him identify the ram in the bush. But here's the key. Right when Abraham gets ready to slay his only son, Isaac, the promised son, God responds and says, I don't want you to do it. There's a ram in the bush. And God says, now I know that you fear God. That's what the angel says. Now, now I know that you fear God. Translation, 
I know that this promised son that you've been waiting 25 years for is not an idol to you because you love God more than you love him. That's the whole point of what God was trying to ferret out in Abraham's life in Genesis 22. Has he allowed Isaac to become an idol or is he still connected with God the way he should be or has his attention drifted? You know, for some of you, the idea of fasting for even seven days is challenging because maybe giving up food is an issue or giving up TV or giving up social media are all issues. And if they're real issues, that's a hint to the fact that they may be an idol. And listen to me. I understand the struggle. You hear me? There have been so many times when God has spoken to me in a still small voice and he's asked me this question. Would you give that up for me? There have been numerous times that I may be driving in my car thinking about something that that's really important to me. Or I may be with people that I love and I it just God will just say it really, really silently. He'll say, hey, would would you give that up for me? Or, or he will say it like, would you be OK if if that was no longer in your life or you were not able to do that anymore? And he raises that question and it's really a check for my heart. Because the main thing that God is doing in those moments is he is trying to see whether or not I've allowed that thing, that person, place, thing or idea to become an idol in my life. And every time God asks me that question, it is a heart check. It's a heart check because what I know is that even if it hasn't become an idol, I've got to be careful because it so easily can. See, this is why what Josiah did was so important. He didn't just put the idols away for seven days or for one season. He tore them down completely, broke them into pieces and burned them. He wasn't passive about this. He was aggressive about removing anything that he and the people loved more than God. How about you? Do you want to hold on to your idols? Are you willing to be aggressive about tearing down anything that gets between you and God. Check this out. In verse 8 of 2 Chronicles 34, it says, In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So now check this out. Josiah started tearing down the idols in the 12th year of his leadership. But then in the 18th year of his leadership, he starts restoring the temple. So this means, first of all, it took him six years to tear down all of the idols. Family, that's a whole bunch of idols. It also means that the people were so distracted by idols and it drifted so far from God that they let the temple fall apart. Now, get this. They, they were not thinking about God. He was so far off of the radar screen of their lives that the temple was falling apart. And this describes some of you watching me right now. See, in the Old Testament, the temple represented the presence and the power and the authority of God. The, the temple was meant to be the focus and the center of the life of the nation of Israel. And likewise, 
God desires to be the center of our lives. But for some of us, we've drifted so far from God that the temple has fallen apart. See, this is why we've got to do the work to prepare our hearts for the new. We've got to tear down the idols. We've got to rebuild the temple. We have to recenter our lives around God and ask God to move in our hearts in a fresh, new way. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 18, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, I used to love this story as a kid. And the older I get, the more and more revelation God reveals to me about what happens in 1 Kings 18. Elijah has this showdown with 450 false prophets of Baal. These are individuals who were worshiping the idol Baal. And in the story, it says that Elijah gives them an opportunity to call on Baal and to ask Baal to send fire down from heaven uh, because they uh, presented a sacrifice to Baal. And the story goes that they, that they did everything and called on Baal morning and noon and, and early into the evening, but Baal didn't show up. And the reason that that's important is because idols can't save us. Idols can't deliver us. Idols will never fix your marriage. Idols won't give you peace. Idols won't, won't, won't provide a sense of self-worth because idols are empty. But these 450 false prophets called on Baal all day and nothing happened. And then after it was pretty obvious that their idol god, Baal, was not going to show up, the Bible says in 1 Kings 18 that Elijah gets ready to call on God. But here's what he does first. He rebuilds an altar. And that's the point. Many of us know the story about when Elijah calls on God later on and how fire falls from heaven. But the key point that we often miss is that he has to rebuild the altar first. And that's the point that's relevant for us. Before fire can fall in your marriage, before fire can fall in your business, before God can move in a mighty and a miraculous way in other areas of your life, we have to rebuild the altar in our hearts first. We have to rebuild the temple, the place where God can dwell. And so the first thing that Josiah does, number one, is he tears down the idols. But then secondly, he turns his attention towards introspection, and that's a word for us. Number two, we've got to turn our attention to introspection. I want you to see this. Let's go back to verse 14 that we read earlier. It says this in First Chronicles, actually Second Chronicles 34, verse 14. It says, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that's been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Here it is. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. I want you to understand what's happening here. They are now in the midst of a rebuilding program. They are rebuilding the temple. They are engaged 
in this rebuilding project. And Shaphan, the secretary, shows up to give King Josiah a report on the building program. And then as a kind of afterthought, he mentions that Hilkiah the priest found a book. Now check this out. The text says when Hilkiah the priest found it, it says he found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Now this is a reference to the Pentateuch. When it says the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses, this is referring to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Hilkiah the priest recognizes what it is. This is why it says he found the book. But here is the problem. While he recognizes what it is, he, as the priest, wasn't using it. How do I know he wasn't using it? He couldn't have been using it because it was lost. So get this, he is leading as the priest, but in his leading, he's not using the word of God. Ah, that sounds a whole lot like today, doesn't it? There is an increasing number of priests and pastors who are leading, but the problem is they're not using the book. They are not using the word of God. They may be using personality or politics. They may even be using influential people, but they are not using the word of God. And the only thing worse than what they are doing, family, is the fact that the people that they are leading often don't even recognize it. Often they don't even recognize that their leaders are not leading by the book. Notice how far they have drifted. Hilkiah, the priest, watch this, recognizes the book, but he hasn't been using it. But then when Shaphan, the secretary, tells Josiah what's happened, he says, here it is, Hilkiah has found a book. Oh, I hope I'm not moving too fast. Hilkiah says, I found the book, but he wasn't using it. How do I know he wasn't using it? Because it was lost. When Shaphan reports to the king what's going on, he says Hilkiah has found a book. Shaphan doesn't even recognize what this is. This is why he says, oh, Hilkiah found a book. But here's the problem. Shaphan is leading the rebuilding program. He is in charge, here it is, of rebuilding the temple of God but he doesn't even recognize the word of God. Teach, Bishop, I'm trying. He is trying family to do a godly thing, but he is trying to do it his way. I, I think you missed it. Let, let me say it another way. He is trying to do something for God, but he's following his own agenda. Oh, I, I, I think you missed that one. Let me say it another way. He, he wants a godly result, but he is not following a godly plan. Can I ask you a question? What is it that you're trying to build apart from the word of God? So often we, we want to build a great marriage. So often we want to build a great business. So often we want to build a great dream. So, so often we want to build a great career. But the problem is we are trying to build apart from the word of God. Family, if you want God in what you're building, 
You've got to prioritize and follow the word of God. You know, when John is given a glimpse of heaven, we just finished reading the book of Revelation. If you're doing your soap devotion. And I love it because when John is given a glimpse of heaven and he sees Jesus, he says in Revelation 19 and 13, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. Oh, that's so good. You know, we say all the time, God, we need you. Well, guess what? He's right here. We say all the time, God, come in my family. Guess what? He's right here. We say, God, we need you on, on our job. Well, guess what? He's right here. God, I need, I need you in my, my child's life. Guess what? He's right here. Here's the most important thing, family, that I want you to see. Verse 18 continues, and it says this. It says, and when Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king, when the king, here it is, heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Now, we don't talk much about tearing our clothes these days, but what you must understand is that the tearing of clothes is an ancient sign of mourning and grief and deep sorrow. When Josiah heard the word of God, he became introspective and he examined his life. Here it is. He, he heard the word, then he examined his life. Then he heard the word some more, then he examined his life. Then he heard the word some more and he examined his life. And what made him tear his robes, what gave him grief and deep sorrow and caused him to mourn is how much his life didn't line up with the word of God. When he, when he heard the word and he looked at his life, it caused him to grieve because he had to acknowledge, he had to admit that his life didn't look like the word. What about you? See, if we are going to address the drift, we have to become introspective. We, we have to look at the word and then examine our life. We have to look at the word and then examine our life. We have to look at the word and then examine our life. Because the question is, how much does your life line up with the word of God? And can I tell you something? How you respond to the word of God is a good indication of how far you've drifted. How, how you respond to the word of God is a good indication of what's happening in your heart. If your response is, oh, that's not a big deal, or oh, that was a great word, but there is no true change. There is no deep grief or mourning. If, if, if you say, well, well, I hear what the word says, but I'm gonna do my own thing, or if you are more aligned with the world and its philosophy instead of the word, and when you hear the word or even see how your life doesn't line up, if it doesn't move you, if you are not deeply grieved like Josiah was, then the indication of that is that you drifted. You know, there's a story told about a man named Bill who telephoned his boss and said, 
Hey, I believe you're looking for an experienced, talented, hardworking manager for your front office. I'd like to apply for the job. And his boss replied, well, we already have someone in that slot and he's doing an excellent job. By the way, your voice sounds familiar. What's your name? And the guy replied, hey, it's me, Bill. I was just checking up on myself. That story is significant because the point is, family, we have to check up on ourselves regularly. We have to check our hearts and check our lives to find out, are we lining up or have we drifted? This is, in fact, why Hebrews 2 says that we must listen carefully to the truths that we have heard or we may drift away from them. When Josiah hears the word, he turns towards introspection and he realizes how much his life doesn't line up with the word of God. And so he, he tears his robes. He is deeply sorrowful. Translation, he repents. And listen to me, family, that's what God is after. Can I tell you something? God is not really bothered by how far we drift as long as we acknowledge it and repent. And the moment that we repent, God swoops down like that helicopter did for the woman who had drifted from the beach. And God will let down a rope and pull us back to the blessed place that he has for us. This is the truth that prompted the songwriter to say, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. Family, God doesn't care how far you drifted. What matters to him is whether or not we will acknowledge it and ultimately repent. And the moment we do, God is ready, waiting to put us back on track. Let me show you what God says to Josiah in verse 27 of 2 Chronicles 34. I love it. God, I love your word. God says, here it is. Because your heart was responsive. And you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. That's what we want, family. We want God to hear us. We want God to intervene in our situation. We want God to heal the land to move on our behalf for his glory. We want to participate in the new that God is doing, but our hearts have to be right. And so family, our focus over these next seven days, I hope that you're gonna go on this fasting journey with us. I hope that you have downloaded the free fast guide. And if you haven't, go out there, let us know that you're gonna join us in this seven day fast and we'll send it to your email. But our focus over the next seven days is kind of like Josiah did. We, we're going to tear down the idols and we're going to turn our attention towards introspection and say, God, make sure the, 
that, that I haven't drifted. And if I have, we're going to repent and say, Lord, we don't want to miss you in this season. We want to be connected to you and everything that you want to do in our land, in and around our communities, in our homes, in our jobs, in our families, and in our hearts. And you know, as I close, there are some of you who are watching me that the first step for you is to open your heart to the Lord. You've drifted, but you've drifted largely because you don't know Jesus. And so I wanna invite you right now in this moment, our campus pastors in a moment will share with you your next steps, but I wanna invite you in this moment, open your heart to the Lord. Let me tell you something, doesn't matter how far you drifted, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter the mistakes you made, salvation is a free gift and Jesus is ready to not just draw you to him, he will do that, but to put you on a path of purpose and fulfilling life. You gotta open your heart to him. There are some of you who have drifted because you don't have a church home. The COVID pandemic especially has made this category of people even worse. Maybe, uh, you know, being at home and being preoccupied with Netflix and everything else and getting out of the routine of being able to even go to church in a physical way has caused you to drift. Well, that's why the worship center is here, even through the power of technology. And there's so much more that we're working on to make sure that you can find God and engage in meaningful community. That's a part of what the church is called for, created for. We've even created ways for you to do that and we're creating more ways for you to do that through the power of technology. The point is, wherever you are around the world, you still need a church and the worship center is here for you. So in whatever category you find yourself in, I wanna encourage you, make a decision for God. If you know the Lord and you've got a church home, go on this seven day fast with us. Let's prepare our hearts for the new that God is doing. Family, I'm looking forward to the next seven days and I hope that you are. I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.